Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zerars. And as always, technology has failed me. This is the second time I am recording today's episode about the college football landscape. I lost a file in Adobe Edition earlier. I could not find it. I cannot find it. So this is attempt number two. Originally, I did about 45-50 minutes about the landscape of college football when conference by conference talked a little bit about some of the power dynamics that were going on. This will be the abridged 25-30 to minute version, and I know every single time I say I'm going to do only a 25-30 or minute episode, it ends up being 50 minutes because I I can talk. It's one of the reasons I have a podcast, but I promise this will be abridged because I really don't want to have to re-record every single point I made the first time around, but I'll, I'll hit the broad strokes. So today I decided, uh, t- today, Tuesday, I'm recording this episode, I decided to do this because the formal alliance between the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 was not confirmed, agreed to, but there is a wink-wink understanding amongst the three conferences going forward that their interests have a they have a common interest against the SEC, so they will work together to schedule non-conference games and be in the same voting block, kind of how you would think of a caucus in American government in Congress. Be a caucus for their those three conferences' interests against the SEC when it comes to television rights, the playoff format, and possibly forming another body outside of the NCAA to govern football regulations. And all of this stuff is well within reason now because the college football landscape has exponentially grown in terms of money. Uh, The driving force for this round of realignment was Texas and Oklahoma jumping to the SEC. Granted, they won't, as of now, Texas and Oklahoma, or OU as I'll refer to them for the rest of the podcast, they're able to join in 2026 but in all likelihood they will probably get there sooner than that the reason those two schools left the big 12 or are leaving the big 12 is tv money so the big 12 tv rights are divided between espn and fox the big 12 approached those networks last fall during the season and asked, could we renegotiate our next contract early? Where We'll write out the rest of the contract we're on right now, but we would like to iron out how much we're going to get on our next one when this one expires. And both ESPN and Fox told the Big 12 no. Texas and Oklahoma saw ESPN handing out a bank's worth of money, not even a Brinks truck, a bank's worth of money to the SEC to be the exclusive rights holder for the game of the week. And they are going to get upwards of $80 million a year from ESPN in that TV deal as opposed to about the $50 million or so they are currently getting from Fox and ESPN as members of the Big 12. So keep that in mind as your baseline. But before I get to the big picture part of the episode where I do my monotonous talking, please help support the show. There's a few ways to do that. The easiest is signal boosting on social media, whatever platform you use, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Bump the show so other people can see it next if you are doing that you probably are already a subscriber but if you are new to the podcast if this is your first episode please go to the show on whatever platform you'd like to use apple podcast spotify soundcloud stitcher audio boot not stitcher yeah stitcher or um google play subscribe to the show on that feed if you are using apple podcast because apple controls the universe please go to the show's homepage. 
go to the bottom. Past the recent episodes, there are going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. We have 13 reviews right now. I'd really appreciate if I could get to 20 within by the end of August. 20 reviews is the goal. If we can get to 20 reviews, 25 star reviews by the end of August, that would be terrific. Underneath the stars to leave a review is a button with purple letters. It says write a review. Hit that. Leave a few words of encouragement if you have a minute. Support your content creators, folks. We are out here busting our butts to give you guys something that will make you both a little bit smarter and something to enjoy. With all of that as my preamble, I will see you guys in one minute. And with that, I will get on into it. So we know last college football season ended with Alabama, with Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, pretty convincingly as the best team in all of college football. And we've known for a while now college football is particularly top-heavy, more so than the other sports. And it's going to be the same recurring group of about 5 to 10 college football teams that are going to be the contenders for the playoff every single year because of the way the sports power dynamics work. The institutional structures that maintain the current balance of power where because Alabama, because Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, because those teams are consistently good, they're always going to recruit better than other schools. So for the most part, we're going to have the same group here. And we'll start with the SEC. Obviously, the most powerful conference, it's going to go up to 16 members when Texas and Oklahoma join. I assume it'll happen before 2026 when it's officially supposed to happen. I imagine Texas and OU will work a way to get out of their contract earlier. They're the super conference. They have the most expensive television contract. They're going to have arguably four or five of the best-known programs in all of sport, college sports in Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida. Those schools are competitive in multiple sports. That matters, too, in terms of the bigger picture. But the SEC produces the most NFL players. It's one, four of the... Let me do the math here. Four of the seven college football playoffs... As national champions, it's had three Alabamas and an LSU in there. They also had LSU win a pair and Auburn win a pair at the end of the BCS era. So the SEC has the most top-end talent, and I talked about it in the fall of last year when I had P.J. Clark, who's an intern with the Detroit Lions this summer. The way he put it to make it make sense was, the NFL has basketball players now on the outside. Wide receivers and def- corners, defensive backs, those are basketball body types. Those are guys who are 6'4", 6'3", who are too small to go anywhere particular in basketball. They're not big enough to get to the NBA. So they're 6'4", 6'3", 6'2", small forwards at the high school level, and that's just too small to play that position at the college level. So they come to football And you've turned football into a speed game as opposed to a physical game. And more teams are able to be competitive this way. Look at what Ole Miss did. And we'll talk about Ole Miss in depth down the road when I do a specific SEC preview episode. But Ole Miss was able to be competitive last year with Matt Corral, Elijah Moore, and Lane Kiffin scheming up an offense. That is the key here in this entire episode. And it's one of the reasons the SEC is so much further ahead of the other schools in other conferences 
the elite teams realize that this is the way to go. Nick Saban himself said it's impossible to win games now with just defense. you got to be able to score points. That is the recipe to being a college football playoff contender, a national championship contender. You need to be able to score 40 points a game pretty much at will. Every single time you touch the ball, you need to be able to score. Look at the teams last year that were able to give Alabama a run for their money. Ole Miss made them sweat for a half. And then Florida in the SEC title game, that game was never as close as a one-possession game, but Florida was one of the few teams in all of college football that had the offensive ability to score enough to keep the game close against Alabama. And that's the main point here. You want to be able to score enough points to be competitive. You need to have the athletes on the outside. You need to have a play caller who understands that you need to be passing on first and second down. And you need to have a quarterback capable of executing. And I know I say that as a quarterback guy, someone who enjoys good quarterback play, and it's a lot easier to be a good quarterback in college than it is at the NFL level, but at the very least, you got to be able to score 35 points a game if you want to be a serious contender. And not enough teams around college football do that, and it'll be the recurring theme as we go to the other conferences. But big picture, if we, if and when we get to that 12-team playoff, most years the SEC is going to have four teams. Alabama will be there, Georgia will be there, OU or Texas or both. Florida can be in the mix, Auburn can be in the mix. Tennessee is a dormant giant waiting to be activated by the right head coach and athletic director combination. That's a school with as much infrastructure and history as any of the true blue bloods. I mean, it's not on the same scale as a Michigan, but they have the infrastructure and boosters of a Michigan. So if they were able to get on a good streak of seasons, they could easily reinsert themselves in that SEC East. It's going to be the major driving force in any further realignment or different structure of college football. Next, I'll go to the Big Ten because the Big Ten has the historical precedent of being the driving force conference in college football. I mean, when the average person thinks of college football, they think of the marching bands, they think of the game, you know, of what the snobs call Michigan-Ohio State. That's what average people think of when they think of college football, and that's the Big Ten. And for a while now, the Big Ten has been a one-team conference, and I know that sounds weird to say because it's one of the few conferences that has had multiple representatives in the playoff, but in reality here, the only team in that conference that's capable of winning a national title is Ohio State, and it's because they do what I just said when I was talking about SEC teams, they understand that you need to have the quarterback and you need to have the right spread offense. And Ohio State has put two quarterbacks consecutively into the first round of the NFL draft. Yes, Dwayne Haskins flopped in Washington, and he's a backup trying to salvage his career. Justin Fields, very accomplished college career, probably going to end up being the Bears starter by the end of September, if not sooner, if Matt Nagy has a clue, he will be because he's looked pretty good in preseason games and we know that Andy Dalton is not going to be able to hold up in a bad pocket. We saw how poorly he played in Dallas last year, and that Bears offensive line is arguably worse than what the Cowboys offensive line was with Dalton last year. So hopefully Fields gets in there. But back to the point about Ohio State. You can pencil them in winning that divi- that conference every year for the foreseeable future because they're the only football team in that conference that plays like it's 2021. Michigan runs a variation of the spread option that Harbaugh was running with Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers 10 years ago. That was cutting edge 10 years ago. Now it's very, very common, especially at the college level. Penn State's never going anywhere with James Franklin because he's not good enough of a game manager. He plays not to lose, but 
he plays not to lose instead of trying to aggressively win the game. And we've seen him blow two leads to Ohio State in consecutive years. They Penn State beat Ohio State on the Mark Allen, Marcus Allen blocked field goal. They won the Big Ten. They went to the Rose Bowl. They lost to Sam Darnold and USC. The year after, they lose to Penn. They lose to Ohio State at the Horseshoe after building up a big lead. They let JT Barrett, I believe, was the starter that year, bring Ohio State back into that game and win. The year after, in Happy Valley at the Whiteout, they get out to a big lead in front. They score a field goal in the second half. Game on the line, fourth and five. They call an outside zone to Chase Young's side of the defense on their own side of the field. They do not have confidence in their quarterback. And it's part of why Penn State will never really be a serious threat to Ohio State is they don't recruit the quarterback position well enough. And that's in part because they don't have a good enough scheme to attract good quarterback prospects. But I digress. I don't want to rag too much. Michigan won't go anywhere with Harbaugh because he he just refuses to adapt with the times. He's still trying to do what he did 10 years ago, 15 years ago at Stanford, what he did with the 49ers, and they have a very defined ceiling. Yes, he finally fired Don Brown, and they're not just going to live in man defense and get burned by better athletes, but until you see something from Michigan that looks like a pulse, they're never going to be a real threat to Ohio State. And real quick on the Big Ten West, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota two years ago, none of those teams are going to inspire confidence the way an Ohio State does. Those teams are all still trying to win with defense and running the ball. And I, I didn't even mention Nebraska, who fancies itself a serious contender, but we all know isn't. Until an Iowa can score 30 points a game, until a Wisconsin can score 30 points a game, they're never going to be a serious threat to Ohio State on a consistent basis. Sure, you might be able to beat them once, especially if it's in the regular season and they have to co- Ohio State has to go out west. If you get anyone can lose at Kinnick at night, but you can't be banking on maybes and what ifs. You got to have like authoritative statements of we can win the game because, not we can win the game if. And right now in the Big 10, everybody else is we can win the game if. Ohio State is we can win the game because. Until someone else can authoritatively come up with a plan for beating Ohio State on a consistent basis, it will continue to be Ohio State's conference. Now, I touch on the Big 12. This won't be long because the Big 12 is just a corpse now. It's part of the reason the alliance was formed between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 10. And I keep saying the alliance and I'm picturing the WWE faction of the WCW guys in 2001. They had that invasion pay-per-view and they lost at the Survivor Series. Still don't know how you fuck up an invasion angle. That's such a good angle, and WWE botched it within two months. But enough about WWE, which we might do a WWE episode sometime soon. Uh, Got the fire reignited this past weekend watching SummerSlam, watch CM Punk return at AEW. We might do some wrestling down the road here, but the bones of the Big 12, we're talking West Virginia, Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, none of these are big enough brands to build a conference around, so it's not even as simple as let's invite Cincinnati and UCF in here and we go from there. I mean, let's get rid of all the pretenses that conferences matter for geography reasons. West Virginia is half a country away from Oklahoma State. Hell, Oklahoma is half a country away from Athens, Georgia for the new SEC. Austin is not particularly close to Gainesville. So it's not like 
geography matters anymore. I mean, all these teams charter private flights, so it's not like the travel conditions are that much of a burden. But at the very same time, we're talking about a conference that is going to be picked apart, where I imagine that the teams that remain are going to be divested amongst other conferences or in some new alignment, which I'll touch on at the end here, but none of these programs have given Oklahoma a consistent threat. I mean, Oklahoma's won the conference, I believe, seven years in a row. Texas hasn't won it since 2009. The Baylor team with Charlie Brewer and um, Denzel Mims was pretty good two years ago, but at the very same time, that team had a very, very low ceiling because it did not have the quality of talent of an Alabama, an Ohio State, a Clemson, a Georgia. And that's half the battle here. First, you got to have the right infrastructure in place where you have a head coach who understands being aggressive and you understand you can score enough points. Then you also have to be able to play a little bit of defense or at least be able to force turnovers, which is the Big 12's problem and why Oklahoma hasn't made any noise in the playoff once they've gotten there. They can't play defense. They cannot stop the other team from scoring. So if Oklahoma doesn't score one time they have the ball in a playoff game, they're done. And that's the problem for these Big 12 teams. And yes, I understand the conference is set up this way and all of the schools kind of play with the same acknowledgement of offense before defense. Yes, Oklahoma is supposed to have a pretty good defense this upcoming season. Got to do a little more research before I do a full preview episode. But remember their bowl game against Florida where they just mud-stomped a Florida team that was disinterested and had a bunch of people sit out because they declared for the draft and didn't want to travel during a pandemic? Yeah, if OU has a real defense, maybe they can make a little bit of noise this year. Spencer Rattler going into year two as a redshirt sophomore. Promise, arm talent, got to get better decision-making, got to get a better internal clock, but those are things you can fix at the college level. Those are things you can fix. We know Lincoln Riley's a good coordinator. He's had three straight quarterbacks get drafted, two of them in the first round, two of them win the Heisman, one of them finished second in the Heisman voting. Of course, I'm talking about Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. Big 12 probably goes the way of the old Southwestern Conference that used to be a powerhouse in college football. The Bones get picked. These teams go to other places. I don't know where they go. They probably get divested amongst the other four. Maybe some of the schools in there can go to other conferences based on athletics, other sports rather. Maybe Kansas can sneak into the Big Ten because of their basketball program. Maybe K-State can get in there based on basketball. Maybe Tech can because Texas Tech has had a pretty good basketball team. But at the very same time, it does seem like the end of days for the Big 12. Now, we get to the Pac-12, which is dealing with the same problems as the Big 10 and to and to some extent the Big 12. None of these teams is good enough to compete with the other players who are legitimate national title contenders. The best Oregon team of this decade went to the national title game, and I think Ezekiel Elliott is still running. How running because of how bad that defense was. And that's not an indictment of Oregon. That Ohio State team was particularly good. Several players in the first round of the NFL draft, the uh, Joey Bosa, Zeke, a few wide receivers. Curtis Samuel was very good on that team. He was not a first-round pick, but an, and a, he's a legitimate NFL player at this point in his career. But this is a conference who's been headlined by Oregon for a while now. USC has had okay moments, like I mentioned during the the Big Ten segment. They did they did have a Rose Bowl win over Penn State. Sam Darnold, Juju Smith-Schuster had a crazy game in that game. 
but they still have Clay Helton. They still can't consistently beat the teams in their own division of their own conference, let alone an actually good team. It remains to be seen if Keenan Slovis is going to be an NFL prospect. I was pretty high on him two years ago, pretty high on him going into last year, torn knee, starting over from scratch. We'll see what USC, Oregon was decent last year, but they only played five games. They had a game canceled because of the of COVID. They won the Big 12, the bit, uh, Pac-12 by default. They got placed into that game because one of the teams had to, um, one of those teams had to withdraw because they had a COVID outbreak. So it's really hard to draw anything from the Pac-12 last year because they played so few games, but we're waiting on Chip Kelly and USC. Stanford and Dave, Brian Shaw have been quiet for a while. Utah was pretty good two years ago, but probably going to have to start more or less over. Utah State, Colorado, none of these teams really any real consistency as a contender. But I know there was a little bit of buzz about Arizona State and Herm Edwards. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback they have two years ago, they had a decent season, but they only played three games because of COVID outbreak, so very hard to judge on where the Pac-12 is. But the Pac-12 aligning... With the ACC and the Big Ten, smart. Hiring someone who's in the gaming industry, and when I say gaming, I mean gambling, business as their commissioner. Someone who's going to be a little bit more aggressive in trying to open up new revenue streams, probably try and not sponsor the league directly through gambling means, but at the very least try and get the NCAA to loosen up its stances on gambling, which is something we could talk about at the end when we talk about potential realignments. Last but not least, we get to Clemson's playground at the ACC. It is a playground for Clemson because Florida State has fallen off a cliff since Jimbo Fisher left. There's a little bit of hope right now with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, but more or less, Florida State, Mike Norvell, the former Memphis coach, they did get a win over North Carolina, which no one was expecting last year, a genuine upset. But that division... That conference, rather, is Clemson and everybody else. Miami, until Miami shows any semblance of a competition against a good team, Miami will not be back. North Carolina, Sam Howell, this is his last year. He's going to be the first quarterback off the board in next year's draft. No incentive for him to stay another year. This will be North Carolina's best chance. If they can beat Clemson in the title game terrific they probably can't beat an Ohio State an Alabama Georgia maybe even an Oklahoma or an Oregon they could win I mean they almost beat Clemson two years ago with Mac Brown's first year there they were a two-point conversion away from making it happen you look around the ACC Virginia Tech had a moment uh 10 years ago they won the the ACC but Duke no uh, Virginia no this is a Clemson's playground, and Clemson is closer to being an SEC school than an ACC school, but I digress. I digress. And you're sensing a recurring theme here where I'm very dismissive of non-top-10 teams on a consistent basis because college football is so damn hard to be competitive in, and it's something I'm going to talk about in a minute when we talk about the 12-team playoff and why it's not actually going to give the outcome that people want. There's only one way to win in college football right now, and that's by scoring 50 points a game, 40 points a game, and doing it in an efficient manner. It's no good doing that if the other team has 60 points, which is something that is within reason now. I mean, we saw Alabama hang 50 points with pretty much 
ease this past season with Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Mechie? Yeah, the kick returner, Mechie. They, very good team. And we will see if Alabama will be as good with Bryce Young. We'll see if Clemson can be as good with DJ Ulongule. We'll see if Ohio State can be good with CJ Shroud. All three of those teams going with new quarterbacks because all of those guys' quarterbacks went in the very first round. That's the kind of talent it's going to take to win with any consistent basis. I mean, you look at the recent national champions in college football, and you, you get a recurring theme. Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa. You get a recurring theme here where you're going to need to have at least a decent NFL prospect at the quarterback position. You need a head coach who understands where today's college, where today's scheme exists and what makes schemes successful. I mean, Sark, Steve Sarkeesian, got the Texas job being the OC for Alabama and putting up 50 points a week with talent. And it remains to be seen if he can do it as easily with less talent than Alabama, because let's be frank, honest here, pretty much everybody has less talent than Alabama, aside from Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State. And you're, you're going to sense the recurring theme here about Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, and to a lesser extent, Oklahoma and Oregon, and Notre Dame, who I didn't mention because they're not in a conference, but really quick, Notre Dame can do whatever they want. They can stay independent. They'll still get the NBC money. It'll be easier for them to make a playoff without any committal to a conference. They can schedule whoever they want. They can keep their traditional rivalries. Notre Dame gets to live the best of both worlds. Probably never going to be able to be a true national title contender because of the limitations, because it's a private school, because they have an academic, such rigorous academic requirements. It's why Urban Meyer is not the coach at Notre Dame, because that would have happened if they would have waived the academic requirement, but Notre Dame was not willing to do that. But big picture here, we're at 26 minutes, so I can keep this part of the spiel under four minutes, so I can keep to my word about a 30 minutes or less podcast. 30 minutes or less, very good movie, Jesse Eisenberg, very funny movie if you haven't seen it. But... This is all going in the same direction. The SEC going to 16 teams and the three conference alliance and the Big 12 being broken apart. We are going to get to some version of a relegation promotion system, a Super League concept, something in that realm because the NCAA is having a constitutional convention sometime soon. And that convention would allow for the decision makers, the stakeholders to readjust where college football fits. And I was listening to Dan Patrick talk about it this morning on his show, and the way he described it is football makes too much money compared to every other sport just on the regular season because March Madness makes a ton of money, but that's only the playoffs. The college basketball regular season doesn't make as much money. But there is so much money in football. It would be in the interests of the college to break away from the NCAA, to make their own governing body their own sanctioning body for just football you keep the title nine stuff for the rest of the ncaa sports you can even keep the title nine requirement about the total number of scholarship sports if you want to count it that way so you're not losing x number of scholarships for female athletes which women athletes which is important because that's one of the core points here is if you're offering x number of male sports you need to offer them for women as well so it's important that if football breaks away, because that's a significant number of sport spots. I mean, 9,500 players, that's two or three teams of a, another sport, a smaller a team where you, a sport where you keep a smaller roster. So 
you can look at something like a relegation system where you'd have two 10 team, two 20 team, whatever, however many teams you want to, two 15, however many com divisions you want to have, X number of teams total make the playoff and you go from there. Where you, I wrote about this with Blake Crass last fall when we were talking about potential realignment ideas. We suggested what was essentially the Super League that soccer tried to do this past season, this past spring, and it fell apart pretty quickly. But you take about the 20 best teams, you know, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Clemson, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, Iowa, Iowa State, Oregon, USC, and Notre Dame, and you make them their own thing. They're separate from the rest of college football, and you pick eight of those 20 teams that get to the playoff, and you go from there. Or you could do something of a relic promotion relegation system like soccer has, where you have about 20 teams. That's what the Premier League has, 20 teams. And the three lowest-seeded teams in that Super League, they go back to regular college football, which has its own playoff. And the teams that make the Final Four in the regular football playoff those teams get promoted. You'd have to work out the right number where it's three and three, four in, four out, or three in, three out, something like that. You'd have to work out the exact number, but something along the lines of a promotion relegation system, because if it gets to a Super League type format where it is only 20 of the best programs in all of football, someone is going to be the Watford in that league. Someone is going to be the Arsenal in that league that is going to get their doors blown off. Do you think Texas is going to sign up to be the team that goes 6-5 and five or 7-5 and five every single year because they have to play a murderous schedule because everybody in this Super League has a tough schedule? I mean, in that world where that type of Super League exists, you could be looking at an Alabama team with three or four losses because they had to play A&M, they had to play Oklahoma, they had to play Ohio State, they had to play Clemson, depending on the given year. In a given year, you might have to play Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Notre Dame. You lose four of those games, there's no shame in losing to one of those teams because those teams are as good as you. That's the thing here. If we want to get the best possible winner, a Super League-type system would make sure that happens because you're only playing other good teams. But that... Super League or promotion relegation system is probably at least 10 years away. In the interim, we know that there will be playoff expansion at some point. I mentioned it before talking about the SEC. SEC goes up to 16 teams. In a normal year with a 12-team playoff, you can pencil the SEC in for four playoff bids. You can pencil in Alabama, Georgia, that's two. You figure Oklahoma, and then either Texas, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee, if Tennessee ever gets it together... A&M sometimes. It depends on the year, but if you have that kind of format, you're going to get a third of the seeds in the playoff. And I know everybody thinks that by expanding the playoff field, you're more likely to get upsets. There was no team in college football last year that was going to be able to beat Alabama. Point blank. If anyone was going to be able to do it, it was Florida. Florida got it to a one-possession game at the end there, but was never really that close of a game. Florida was the only team that was going to have expl explosive enough of an offense. That was hard to say, a mouthful. Words are difficult sometimes. Explosive enough of an offense to score with Alabama. And as we get into this 
super spread, whatever you, not super spread, that makes me think of COVID. Whatever you want to call this era of college football with the hyper spread offense, with constantly four receivers and a tight end on the field, three receivers and a tight end on the field, not a lick of a quarterback under center. As you get away from what college football was in the early 2000s and the late 90s, we're going to see teams that are able to stay competitive against better teams by trying to score as many points as possible and not worrying as much about defense, clock management, running the ball. The teams that adapt to where college football is going will continue to be successful. Ohio State wised up. They got Ryan Day in there to run a pro-style offense, to make those receivers, put their quarterback in a position to succeed, and be able to beat everyone else in their conference with relative ease. I mean, Ohio State has had some stinkers over the years, but Ryan Day has all of two losses in his coaching career, and they're both in the playoff, one to Clemson, one to Alabama. Nothing to sneeze at. Uh, That guy can call offense, and he understands being aggressive. All right, I went a little bit over 30 minutes. This is 34-ish minutes. I want to thank everyone for listening to today's pod. I'm sorry it was not as in-depth as I initially recorded, but it is kind of late, and I do have other things I need to get done. Should have a blog going up on Gotham SN about the New York football giants at some point, hopefully on Wednesday. There was a blog I wrote yesterday, went up Tuesday, about Henrik Lundqvist kind of saying a thank you because Henrik Lundqvist means so much to me as an athlete, as a media person. If it weren't for Henrik Lundqvist, I would not be recording this podcast right now, is the ethos of that blog and the ethos of yesterday's edition of the podcast, which I highly recommend you check out. I will see you guys tomorrow. We will probably be doing football, probably Giants, because I've got some thoughts I want to get off my chest. Going to the Met game on Thursday, may or may not have an episode for you guys on Friday. 100% will have an episode for you on Monday because it is a busy sports weekend. College football? Did someone say Illinois? UCLA, Hawaii? Oh boy, it is football season. I will see you guys tomorrow.